Have you ever seen a star-studded cast like, <laughs> let's go with, I don't know, Justin Trudeau, Fifi Dobson, um, Amber Rose, and Macy Gray all at a wedding? Wow. Together? I mean, one can only dream, hope, pray, and wish for, for a, a cast like that to, yeah. uh, to be in front of us. Uh, well, I was at your wedding, and yeah. I've heard uh-huh. uh, around town that all of those people were there. <laughs> uh, I cannot confirm nor deny. Nor deny? Okay. Well, <laughs> I missed my shot at... Uh, requesting a duet with macy yeah you really did yeah I try that was my favorite song <laughs> <Shut the fuck laughs> up. for so long for so long oh. it might still be my favorite song fair enough <laughs> um welcome back to paranormal everyone yeah um, I'm Nicolina. And I'm Marie. And uh, our last episode, uh, as you may have noticed in the title, called uh, I've Got 99 Problems But a Ghost Ain't One, also uh, in brackets said episode 99, <laughs> was in fact episode 99, mm-hmm. which means yeah. this episode uh-huh. is episode 100. What? Wow. <sighs> This is the crowd screaming for us. I'm so excited. We made it to 100 episodes. This is wild. You know, I remember when The Simpsons hit like episode 200 and I was like, that's it? That's all they've done? I know that's kind of how I feel. (laughs) But I'm like, 100 is actually pretty significant. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's also been like four four years. Four years, but the first, I want to say like first two years were actually maybe the first- yeah, maybe the first three years were only once every other week. Yeah, yeah. So, so that would be why. That was probably why. We yeah. Really, we really went from uh, 50 to 100 real quick. Real quick. Real <laughs> quick, yeah. Um, just that extra content for you for mm-hmm. you guys um, <laughs> yeah. doing it, doing the most. So basically, yeah, we're going to start this episode with horoscopes as we always do. And then we're going to probably do something a little bit different. Yeah, and hopefully you guys like it. And if you don't, well, then we're so listen sorry. to the other 99 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> there's lots of content there. Um, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? I can go first. Okay. Okay. Don't assume that the person you're trying to reach is getting your messages, Gemini. Perhaps you've been waiting for a reply, thinking that this person has blown you off. Maybe this person doesn't understand the question you're trying to ask. When it comes to matters of love and romance, you're going to have to spell things out. No. No. <laughs> Does not compute with my day to day. No, I don't didn't think so. Okay. I'm just going to straight up say no. Yep. So, okay. Leo. Something unusual could put a smile on your face today, Leo. Look for beauty and love in the simplest things. If you can't see it, then work on adjusting your attitude. Your inner state is likely what needs to be fixed, not the world around you. If you can shift to a light, understanding mood, you'll receive the laughter and romance that are sure to brighten your day. Um, I mean, I wasn't really in a negative mood today. I don't think I, like, really had any issues with accepting people or things into my life with, like... I don't know. I don't even know what that fucking is telling me to do. I don't know. All I can think about is like that conversation you had at work today. And it was like, 
that was a good conversation that you had. Yeah. I don't know. But like, I, and I knew it was a good conversation yeah. at the time. So I'm not yeah. really sure like there was anything. Um, like, I mean, so it was my grandmother's uh, birthday today. Right. Uh, which could have been a negative day if I really wanted to dwell or be sad or melancholy about it. Yeah. Um, but instead, so I had purchased a cake. I'd purchased two cakes for Admir's uh, birthday just in case Whoa. I couldn't get the ice cream cake that I wanted. <laughs> so I had this extra confetti cake that we never touched or mm-hmm. used or whatever. And I was like, oh, well, this would be a nice thing to have on her birthday. Yeah. And I brought it to my mom and she was really happy that Aww. there was my Nona got a birthday cake. That's really sweet. So I don't know. That's really all I could I can muster up that's to think cute. of. No, that's a good one. Whatever. Yeah. They're both kind of off today then. That's fine. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, so guys, given that it's our hundredth episode, mm-hmm. we have a lot to reflect on in the last <laughs> yeah. 100 episodes and last four years of this podcast. Yeah. And basically we're going to use this time to discuss our favorite memories moments guests and stories that we've told on the podcast so at the end we will still have the stories for you you've probably heard them whether they've been recent or old or whatever Mm -hmm. but uh you will still get spooky stories but we're gonna uh just kind of share our talk about our podcast uh, yeah talk about the podcast um this episode is just going to be about the podcast for all the people who love our podcast and if you're new to us you can Listen to the other 99. Like, <laughs> um, so I remember starting the podcast in like my living room with a stand up microphone mm-hmm. um, and garage band. And that was all I, I had. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing or where I was going to go with it. But it, I like very quick, very quickly amassed these like followers from mostly from the United States, the UK and from Australia. Yeah. And I as soon as I saw UK and Australia alongside United Damn, States, I've gone I was global. like Yeah, I was like, wow, I'm a really cool person. I'm I'm big in Japan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that kept me going for a while there, but then um eventually I was like, okay, I can't keep talking to myself on this podcast, so I need to bring in I need a co-host and I need a co-host who's going to be like reliable there every week to do yeah. the episodes. And so then I remember asking you, but every time we get asked this question in an interview or when we go on other po- people's podcasts and they ask us, like, how did you guys start the podcast? It always goes the same way. Marie started it in 2017. I came in. twenty, And then they're like, oh, and... 2019 yeah and how did that go and then I always launch into it but about how I asked you to be on the podcast but I want I was gonna ask you on this episode how do you remember it yeah (laughs) so I remember being at work at the time Mm -hmm. and I don't even know if we were just talking casually about random stuff and then you were just Mm -hmm. like hey would you want to be a co-host on my podcast and I was like uh yeah actually (laughs) sure that sounds like a great idea yeah and then I just feel like I spiraled out into like <laughs> all these ideas that I wanted to do and thank god for that yeah <laughs> how I could contribute and I mean I was in content I was a content manager at the time mm-hmm. so I feel like it was just right up my alley I guess um and I also remember you were like I'm thinking about asking other people if you don't want to do this and I was yeah. like don't do that <laughs> 
yeah. I would like to be the person. I was like, no, that seems like something I should do. Yeah. That doesn't seem like something I should pass up on. I do really genuinely feel I would regret it if I didn't, yeah. if I wasn't a part of it. And I also remember when you were doing the podcast, and I think you went on a hiatus. I did. But when you were first doing it, I was like, man, that's a really cool idea. Thank and you. I don't think I ever, like, <laughs> I don't think I ever said it to you before <laughs> because I was just like, I don't really know how serious she is about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking that's a really cool idea. I, I, at the time wanted to do a podcast for my work right. and had pitched them the idea and they were kind of like, why would we ever do that? Right. And I was like, you don't get it. And you then a podcast, like I do, uh, <laughs> And then, obviously, I wanted to make it bigger, better than ever. Faster, stronger. Faster, stronger, harder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what happened. I'm so thankful because I remember asking if you wanted to do it, but it was like almost like it was so strange how, how I remember it just being like, you and I have always been friends, like since high school, we've always been friends. But like, you know, I'm sure everyone can relate. You have friends from high school who you don't talk to for a few months at a time. Yeah. And we had gone through a lull of just we like, had gone through a lull of just like not really like living our own lives. Basically, yep. mm-hmm. you had just bought this house. Yes. And a random like, I don't even know. I don't know how we started to, like just randomly got on the phone with each other and you were literally like, do you want to come to my house and drink wine? And I was like, I do very much. Yes. And then I came over, we drank wine and I was like, just had this feeling where I was like, you want to, do you want to do right. me? Do you? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. then, yeah, I remember. And you- I, I did, did I tell you the story about the house and my dad? Did yeah. that spark it? I it might have, think- I don't know if that was, you might have told me um, after I asked, but I don't think I knew that story until. No, I don't think you did know after. the story until after. Yeah, I think I didn't even like publicize it until you had asked me to be on the podcast, yes. and I was like, "Huh, maybe this is kind of a story worth telling." For sure. Um. And so then, yeah. And then yeah, you came in and you had great ideas, and then like bis a business plan. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, she's gonna take this." to another level that I want to take it to, but I don't know how to take it there. Literally spent $40,000 on an education (laughs) to try and and be able to do stuff exactly what this is. So it just made sense. Yes. So I'm just so thankful that you were the person that I asked and that you were the first person I asked and that it was a yes from the beginning because I don't think that we would be where we are or that we'd have the guests or that I might not even be doing a 100th episode if we didn't bring you to the podcast yeah I'm not I'm not sure what what other people would have brought to the table if it would have nothing baby no I'm kidding no no no. like I don't know if anyone would have because I because because it's in my career yeah it's in my field I am constantly surrounded by this kind of content Mm -hmm. so it's not like it's this is different from what I do anyway I feel like other people might have gotten tired of maybe doing something that they weren't really familiar with that they didn't know how to take to the next level you would have had to find you would have had to have asked someone else in your journalism program or something like that who also Also shared that yes yeah who shared that desire for uh for just content creation yeah 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 well I'm glad it was you 
Great. Thank and now, you. I'm glad yeah, it was no too. Worries. And now I'm like, it's just great because like our friendship grew so much stronger. Absolutely. And uh, like every day we we talk to each other every day. I know I always have you to talk to about anything that goes on Literally, in my life. Yep. So mm-hmm. just thankful that you agreed. <laughs> Yeah, no worries. I'm glad I yeah, agreed. Yeah, no worries. I got yeah, you. <laughs> I got I got you, boo. Um, but no, it was definitely a, a, a good choice. And obviously, we had moments where we were like, I don't know if this is something we want to do permanently. Oh, yeah. And uh, like, obviously, the beginning of COVID, oh. we took a grand hiatus for some time because we mm-hmm. obviously couldn't be together and we just didn't know what was going to go on with a podcast what direction we needed to take it in and then I think that was a good mental break yeah. for us overall and then all of a sudden for I guess because of COVID people started to listen to the podcast a whole lot fucking more than they were before <laughs> yeah. and we were like well we can't let this die can't and then let we you guys down we yeah. <laughs> thought we wanted to do another podcast Oh my God, we didn't. We didn't even talk about the history. We haven't even of talked that. about that. Yeah. So we started a podcast, another podcast, because we were enjoying enjoying doing this one. Yeah. But it was biweekly, so we were like, "Well, let's do another one biweekly, yeah. and let's do." <laughs> uh, can I call you? Yeah. And that one, within four episodes, basically COVID hit, yeah. and then this one started to take off through COVID, and we were like, "Well." We've got to commit to one and we can't yeah. do bo- we can't do both of them weekly. No. We had to too commit much. to either one or the one other or the weekly. Other. Yeah. And we knew that this one already had strong following and um also, was marketable. Also dedicated like dedicated fans who who aren't just dedicated fans, they're actually people we care about. Mm-hmm. Like I can think off the yep. top of my head several names that like I think about our we've yep. got several people where Mary, like, we've got you Mary, know, Jules, Courtney, Max, like Max Courtney, is a, yeah. Fuck Max yeah, has Max. been a supporter oh my since God. like the beginning. Totally. Um so Brock like so many other people who like come to our Patreon hangouts when we were able to have them and like just feel like we know these people (laughs) yeah I don't want to let them down right exactly I I don't don't want to let let them them down down. and I don't if I let Courtney down I my heart would be crushed same (laughs) 100% she's a nurse a hero (laughs) truly a a national treasure uh so yeah, there are the and, and there's many others that we don't know Absolutely. of that write reviews. We have 440 reviews, probably 400 are positive reviews. Yeah. So why would we want to let down 400 people who are like, damn, Marie and Nicolina have such great energy. They're the best. Like what? Why? Yeah. I wouldn't want. Why? I wouldn't want to do that. Like no. I just. And then they're just like. Where'd they go? I've waited my whole life for people to like me. I can't let this go now. Seriously. (laughs) Um, So those are some of our favorite, uh, I guess, like memories of the Well, that's the evolution of of the podcast and where it's come. Obviously, favorite moments being being introduced to the people at Sonar. Yeah, Sonar was was huge for us. The Sonar Network is top notch. Every single person that I've talked to from the Sonar Network, like hosts, the people who like run it behind the scenes, every single person has been 
so funny, so nice, yep. so professional. Anytime I get a message from any of them, I'm never like, "Ugh, what's going on?" I'm like excited, excited. about what it's about. Totally. Um, the other podcast. They work so hard. They oh work God, so I hard. I know. The other podcasts in general on our network, I'm like, these are sick podcasts. Like and all that. of the podcasts like are good podcasts. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's another favorite. Another favorite moment, yeah. Was meeting getting Mariana and Michael. Sonar. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to me. And everybody and else in who that we've met so far <laughs> that are uh, part of that network of people. Yeah. And then along those lines, we've also had some sick guest episodes oh yeah which have been helped along by sonar we've also had a few episodes that we did uh prior to that with some guests so Mm -hmm. i want to know who your favorites are okay so i've got or your most memorable i've got (laughs) i gotta say vince averill was huge for me because i'm a huge my favorite that is fair yes and so like when I listen to My Favorite Murder, they talk about Vince a lot. Mm-hmm. And what, like, what a, you can hear the stories that his wife tells on that podcast. I'm like, he's such a good husband. He reminds me of my husband. Mm-hmm. Like, he's so, like, what a, just a good salt of the earth man. Yeah. Like, yeah. just a good man. <laughs> um, so, having him on the podcast was really exciting because I think that's going to be the closest, closest I ever get to Georgia Hardstark <laughs> okay. um, until they start doing live shows again. And when I open for them, will I wish <laughs> we're I, a roadie? I will be purchasing a meet and greet ticket. I don't care if they're like four hundred dollars. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna tell my husband it's my push present for when I have this baby. Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> and I'm gonna make sure that I meet her so I can be like, I had your husband on my podcast, and I just like I'm so excited. Whatever. Um, so Vince Averill was huge, huge for me to have on the podcast, that's and fair. then in in like aligned with Vince Averill on the podcast we also got uh the famous Elvis the cat we did which was super exciting um he passed away rest in peace Elvis yeah poor Elvis um but that was super exciting for me because it sounds silly I know he's a cat but like he is a celebrity in his own right he is yeah (laughs) and um and so that was that was really cool. And his stories were good. Like the stories he told us. Yeah, he actually gave really, us some really pretty cool. dope stories and was like one of those people who definitely had a, had skeptic vibes but was like, yeah, but this probably happened. Yeah. Like this seemed pretty and I love those stories. Yes. I love hearing from people like For that. For sure. So I'd say him and then I think tied with and I bet you it'll probably be one of yours I would say him is tied with Deborah DiGiovanni yeah that was I mean Deborah's was and I mean it wasn't really a super spooky episode not at all having her on like I mean I feel like she is basically a relative of mine now after that (laughs) don't know why we're like her younger cousins who like brag that they are younger cousins of Deborah DiGiovanni and she's like and she's like they're so fucking annoying (laughs) I don't care I don't care she hates me I don't care if she thinks that I'm just a basic white bitch she's still following us on Instagram so she must still like us (laughs) that's I equate my net worth to Deborah DiGiovanni (laughs) following me on Instagram once once it's gone I don't don't know if I'll have anything she was and you know what you say it wasn't a sp- the spookiest episode but let me tell you it, it was the scariest terif- it was it was a terrifying episode it was the night of the election we yes. weren't sure if biden she was or stressed. trump was gonna win and i was like i remember <laughs> 
everything on and looking so stressed and I was like oh this might have not been the best not a good time not because she is in LA even though she is Canadian she lives in LA is a resident of the United States yeah and she literally looked like her life could be ripped from underneath her and it could have been yeah it could have been she's a woman living in the United States and all it's a scary moment yeah for them but regardless um Josh, man, was she great. That was another she dream was come true. Um, I will say that, uh, obviously, having the guys from Spooked. Oh, man. That was a great episode. So much fun. Um, Cody Crane, he is the most quotable person I've probably <laughs> ever met in my life. <laughs> so I funny. love him so much. And we brought him up so many times already on this podcast. I know, and I, know. I feel like we're just... Uh, we're just big fans him and damien do such a good job they together they both do. of them are so they were both both of them were hilarious so funny super welcoming too and like because we were new to the network when I, we had them i i want to know your opinion okay because i've been thinking about this a little bit oh my god okay am i the damien and are you the cody crane i don't think i don't think we could ever equate ourselves to those two okay <laughs> Because I feel like we might be the female, like the dynamic of (laughs) the the two. Well, you are more skeptical than me. I am. And I, uh, I was going to say I use humor as a coping mechanism, but I don't know if Cody does that. He's just also very funny. He would admit to that. He's just a very funny person. Uh, I just Um, felt like the dynamic between the two of them was kind of like our dynamics. Yes. Okay. And that's who I felt placed well i I can see that i can see that i will say they're definitely um as soon as we had them on or as soon as we were on their show i was like oh man i hope we talk to these people forever like they're so so easy to talk to them yeah like and and we so we when we did that episode we recorded that episode yeah. We recorded a separate episode for the podcast, mm-hmm. and then we recorded another episode with them for us the same week. So we recorded three podcasts in the span of five days, Yeah, and I thought I was going to hate my life, but I was, <laughs> yes, I was tired, but mm-hmm. I felt like I could have, I kept, could keep going because of them. Yes, they made it so enjoyable. They did. Yeah, they um, were, they were so, great. And they were great. They were the first kind of introduction to the sonar network for us um their uh podcasts and they they made that introduction quite easy and breezy yeah Uh, i mean i will say the live episode with amanda paulson um was 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 really good uh surprisingly went surprisingly well i was given that it was a live show on 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 like youtube YouTube that we had never done before Mm -hmm. so that one went really well um and she obviously shared a lot of uh spooky stuff so that was nice to have as well yeah yeah definitely another favorite guest for sure um but we've had yeah many other favorites of course those are kind of some big standouts for us us. yeah yeah Yeah. any favorite moments of the podcast i mean i will say that the majority of our fuck mary kills are favorite moments for me (laughs) overall just there's there's been a few maybe the usher one was a favorite um there's been a multitude and i can't think of every single fuck mary kill we've done but Mm -hmm. they always uh make me giggle and Uh obviously the live show at the witch's fix which i wish we could get back to doing that soon oh uh, yeah because i'm kind of itching to we we had a taste of it and then three months later we were were in lockdown so it's like i don't know but 
that was a big plan for us going into 2020 yeah. was to do more live shows and then we didn't get to. So yeah, that the live show was, was great. Our thanks for our, to our friends for coming and joining us. Maybe next time they won't just be our friends. It'll there. be other people too. Yeah. Um, I would you? say, okay, so I've got like two, two. Okay. One was before you were on the show. Okay. Um, but at the beginning of the podcast, mm-hmm. So again, it was like United States, UK, and Australia. And I was like, fuck, I want Canada on there so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day I was at Starbucks and I laughed at something okay. that my friend had said. Yeah. And for um, everybody who listens to this podcast knows I have a very distinctive laugh. Yes. And a girl asked me, do you have a podcast? Oh my God. And I, like from behind us, like yeah. another person. And I was like, yes. And she was like, is it like the ghost podcast? And I was like, it is. And she's like, I recognized your laugh. And she listened to the podcast. That was the first time I had heard of a Canadian listening to the podcast. It was in our hometown because I tried to do a lot of like hashtag our hometown. So I don't know if that's how she found it. Right. But that was like one of my favorite things where I was like, I have been noticed in public. You made it. (laughs) From my laugh. And then I would say other favorite moments were... Our live Patreon, yeah, uh, hangouts those that we did, fun as fuck. So oh, I can't fucking wait to get back to those. I know. I want to do them again so badly. Um, those were so much fun because I remember doing the first one and being like, "What if nobody shows up?" Yep. And then trying to solicit my friends who like, <laughs> like, listen, if nobody shows up and there's like only one patron in there, you guys need to come and like hype us up because we're gonna die. But we had a bunch of our Patreons show up for us. They just fucking wanted to hang. They were the best. I want to hang out with our patrons again soon. Like, it might not happen until after I give birth, though. I'm so sorry. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm only two months away, guys. I'm so sorry. So soon. Um, But that's something I really want to get back to doing and something that I love, like, I actually loved doing about about it the lead up is always scary because it doesn't matter even if a ton of people came the first time the second time I'm like well maybe they didn't have fun and they don't want to come back you know like every time it's nerve-wracking and every time they showed up and fucking it was so much fun I will say another favorite moment of mine was getting Mary our intern um oh yeah who who really just took our social media and (laughs) like just took it in it such a big bigger better direction than where we were able to take it on our own yeah like we just didn't have the time for it no. and she basically just took our coaching and ideas and just ran with it and i wish that we had the time to do what she did during that yeah that period maybe we'll one day have another mary yeah um but That'd yeah sweet she was, she was great she was lovely um that would, yeah, I think those are my favorite moments, I'd say. That's fair. I yeah. feel like I have other favorite moments. I just can't. Oh, I've got one for you. Okay. You want to tell me what I should say? <laughs> yeah, but don't cut this. Like, I'm not gonna. <laughs> when we had Admir on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's not cut out for this, the, the entertainment lifestyle. Like, like he's charming and all, he's but he's also just like, he can't fake it till he makes it kind of guy. He's... He's just the real, the realist. Uh, But yeah, no, it was nice having him on. I think that as well, I will say that a favorite moment of mine 
is the evolution of myself from where I started this podcast with you (laughs) to where I've come since because I started talking about fuckboy conquests at the beginning of this and then I fell in love with the best person ever and all these episodes are kind of that the history of me and how much better of a person I've become I'm gonna agree with you and I'm gonna say (laughs) same for me like not like not your journey but like I think about who I was as a person I mean it happens it happens to everybody but like having like a mental breakdown every month like where I'd be like I gotta take time off from this podcast I'm having really bad problems I can't do what I can't cope to like going to therapy doing not just going to therapy to talk but doing the work that they recommend you do at therapy Mm -hmm. taking it seriously honestly I think I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life 1000% agreed um thank you so um I mean, I can't remember the last time I cried due to not hormones. Sure, you know sure, what I mean? sure. Like, Same. I can remember the last time I cried, but like, I'm also very pregnant. So yep. like, I cry about a lot of things. Yeah, things, I mean, as much as COVID has seemingly put a damper on a lot of things in life, yeah. I think it's also, it also adjusted our perspectives. A thousand percent. And uh, this podcast has kind of been our way of staying connected too through COVID. hundred um, percent, yeah. Which has been... I will thank the podcast for for enabling that. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, do you have uh, some favorite episodes you'd like I to share? Do. This is now. I want to talk about favorite episodes and then favorite stories because I feel like we have obviously favorite stories, but there might be episodes that have stuck out as well as our favorite stories. Got it. I can I can do both. Okay. So um, tell me your favorite episodes. F- I'm gonna say favorite episode like that maybe. <laughs> A story I've told that you really yeah, liked. Maybe. <laughs> All my favorite episodes are guest <laughs> episodes I, um, because Fair. I just love, again, like Deborah DiGiovanni or Spooked. Yeah. Like those were yeah. two really good. Actually, no. You know what? Okay. Okay. Favorite episode. I'm going to say Evan Kale from TikTok. Oh, fuck. Yeah. His episode, the actual episode was really good. We had a really good, clear EVP from him that scared me for days you're right we did um but we still walked away from that interview laughing because he's a very funny person 100 yeah um so that episode was a great episode my favorite story that we've ever done uh would have to be again i guess this would fall under episodes but we'll pick out the story from the episode mm-hmm. um was the episode we did about the warrens and okay. so the reason Cut why a lot of flack for that one we did get a, well only one person really but still it's, i i just liked the way that we approached the episode because we did it from both sides we did we tackled that episode together mm-hmm. so you had presented the stories from like the paranormal side yes and I presented the stories at, right after you told them I would come from a more skeptical side, yeah. which is different than the way we normally do things. But um, I liked that we did it that way for the Warrens because the lore around the Warrens is so, you, you just, you, you never know. know. You just don't know. No. Do, and, and at the end of the day, do I believe that these things happened? some of them most probably probably yes yeah um do i also believe that they may have taken advantage of people along the way also also probably probably yes yes. um but i do i think that they faked everything no no i don't um but the one story that stood out for me in that episode was the amityville horror story the story of the defeos because i remember 
that being one of the first horror movies that I watched as a kid. So hearing the actual true story about it and doing research on the true story about it was really interesting to me. Right. So this is a, the story of the DeFeo family or the Amityville horror family. So arguably the most famous of Ed and Lorraine Warren's paranormal investigations, this investigation has been adapted into a frightening and seemingly unending film franchise. This Warren case involved the Lutz family. The Lutzes took up residence in a suburban, suburban Dutch colonial house in Amityville, Long Island in 1975. Only a year before their move-in, the residence had been the site of a deadly mass murder when Ro- Ronald DeFeo yeah. Jr. brutally killed six members of his family. Can I ask you a question yeah. really quick? Would you ever buy a house if you knew that a murder had taken place Never. in it? Never. I ever. don't think I would either. Like, that makes my stomach turn. But what if it was, like, a beautiful, like, six-bedroom Victorian at a steal of a price? I, I honestly, I, I don't think I, don't I, think could, I could do, do it. it like, no matter what, I would feel like I'm inviting yeah. just I'm that, sure. that. I just thing. wanted to know if you're yeah, on the same page. For sure. Go ahead. Yeah. So... <laughs> For 28 days, the Lutzes and their three children lived in that very same house. While there, the family reported antagonistic voices, swarms of flies, welts, family members levitating, banging noises, and unseen entities. Ed and Lorraine Warren were eventually called in to cleanse the house and brought a local TV crew with them. After snapping photos, including one featuring a boy with glowing eyes, the Warrens determined that the land had curses on it. In a 2013 interview with Yahoo, Lorraine Warren said that Amityville House was was the one case that haunts her the most. Amityville was horrible, she said during a press conference for The Conjuring. It was absolutely horrible. It followed us right straight across the country. I will never go in the Amityville House ever again. So that's the Cole's notes on Amityville. Yeah, by the way, we're doing Cole's notes versions because... There are so many stories that we're going to cover. Yeah. So right like quickly before I jump into the, the, client fraudulent. the fraudulent part of it, I just wanted to say that one of the biggest issues with any case associated with the Warrens is that there's not much information uh, concerning the hauntings outside of what they, the Warrens provide. Right. So basically, we're just supposed to accept whatever facts that they present to us based on their word alone. Right. Um, which is why people obviously started doing their own investigating into mm-hmm. these claims. Mm-hmm. So for Amityville, there are tons of articles that reveal the Lutz's haunting as more fiction than fact, including statements made by Ronald DeFeo's lawyer. His name is William Weber. And he claims that him, Kathy and George Lutz um, drank four bottles of wine one night and they had a creative writing session about what kind of thing could go into writing a horror book. And this is according oh. to this is according to ABC News, by the way. Okay. Then the picture that you talked about. So did they move there? No, like with the with that as they're wanting inspiration from the house. I don't know. I should have looked that up, but we could probably look it up. But like that makes sense. Why it else would. would you want to live in a Victorian or colonial, colonial house, house that people were murdered, murdered in? in. Whether right. unless you were trying to look for some sort of inspiration for a mur- like for well, a people, horror book. This is the thing, people. There are a lot of people who that wouldn't bother them. 
there are people, okay. but there are people sure, but, but the fact that they actually had that conversation that's, as well that's right well he claims he claims right, he claims, right. allegedly um that picture that you talked about there basically everyone is saying like okay it could have been one of the crew members from the tv of the, the boy TV with glowing eyes yeah yeah um the tv appearance is what catapulted the warrens as experts in the field of paranormal research even though they presented no concrete evidence of their finding that the Amityville house was haunted or, or, and then in quotes, infested with demons. And they had no real evidence in any of their prior cases that they worked on either. Um, before, before basically anybody realized that like they had no concrete evidence, the like excitement around the true ghost story had already begun. Mm. And they, already released uh the amityville horror film by that time oh so they basically told like they had sold the it was yeah done the whole thing yeah Yeah. um that was done in 1979 and that's basically that cemented their reputation for for forever right yeah and that so that's so they were able to get in before the before the claims could be debunked at all so the fraud yes so the fraud that we're gonna like that basically is attributed to the Amityville is the statement from Ronald DeFeo's lawyer saying that they decided they were going to make all of this up him and the people that lived in the house. So Ed and Lorraine Warren had nothing to do with that. Right, 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 um, right, right. It was the actual people who contacted them who made correct. it up. Um, but the house wasn't haunted and Ed and Lorraine seemed to have find, have found all this evidence, but then couldn't provide any evidence. concrete information. Yeah. Right. Except for that photo, which again was could have been, been a crew, crew member, member, for all we know. Sure. Okay. Okay. Next. Great. Yeah. Well. Well. I mean, okay. So I've got. I'm going to go through a few few things because sure. I feel like I've got a few favorite episodes. I would like to say mutually, I feel like one of our best episodes and my favorite is the reincarnation one. <sighs> Those stories were fucking bomb. Such good stories. So good like as I wrote that story as I went through that I was like hanging off every fucking word of it yes and this when you told it I was hanging off every word of yours yeah people liked hearing those ones and like I genuinely believe that these stories were not fictional in any way like I they're so believable like they're so I, I don't know like I just can't they're they're so cool um Mm -hmm. and like doing more of those i would love to do more of those i agree um i will say that also some of my favorite episodes were having actual patreons on the episodes those were good ones yeah because i feel like we were able to because we do a lot of hometown haunts and sometimes we'll do kind of more not maybe famous people or like people who have their own podcast come on but like mm-hmm. these are real people sharing their real haunted stories and i've seen comments from people being like please never stop these because mm-hmm. they genuinely those are the those are the stories that get them get them going absolutely yeah. um and it just validates this whole podcast that like people yeah. who are experiencing paranormal things on the daily and we're not even getting the half of it like yeah first-hand accounts that's yeah, why it's first-hand accounts that's why it's so riveting is that it's like this like this happened to this actual person who is talking to you right now yeah 
<laughs> yep, yep. I will also say that I like the Robert the Doll uh, story. Uh, that one was good. I like yeah. that one a lot. Um, but I will say that my favorite, and it is recent, and I know many of you have probably listened to it already, but the um, serial killer episode and that whole haunted farmland area yeah. has not only was not only it was a very interesting story to do mm-hmm. it has also become probably the closest story to making me feel genuinely terrified doing this podcast i've never felt terrified from any of the other stories we've really? done that is what like i've been like spooked yeah yeah but yeah. not scared within my soul about possibly feeling the presence of of like getting (laughs) scared from it that I'm like I gotta turn on all the lights I gotta lock on my doors like I feel that way when I listen to that That episode yeah I actually that story was really scary and then what happened afterwards I was like oh I'm not even gonna listen to this episode of ours because I'm actually scared exactly so So that's what happened with the Evan Kale episode too I was so scared I couldn't listen to it right so I mean (laughs) if you guys are willing to hear it here it is again the (laughs) (laughs) the serial killer episode with the her Bowmeister and is currently uh said to have been like con- continues to haunt fox hollow, hollow farm where he used to live mm-hmm. take a listen again <laughs> okay so my story um is about herb Baumeister, and i got my information from new york daily news uh huffingtonpost.com and sci-fi.com all right so herb Baumeister. Uh, met his wife, Julie, in college. The couple got married, had three kids, and began living a rather normal suburban life. In the 80s, Herb and Julie opened up two thrift stores and made enough money to buy their dream home. Fox Hollow Farm was a sprawling 18-acre estate, complete with a five-bedroom home and indoor pool. From the outside, it looked as if the Baumeisters had achieved the perfect life. His humor could be dark, but Herb was by all accounts a hard-working man and a doting father. But when you got inside the Baumeister's facade, the cracks were visible. Herb was hospitalized shortly after getting married for schizophrenia. He was diagnosed as a teenager, but was never treated for it. The marriage also wasn't going as smoothly as the couple presented it. Herb and Julie were rarely affectionate towards each other. By Julie's own account, they engaged in sexual intercourse five to six times in their 25-year marriage. Are you joking me? Yeah, that produced three children. There's no way. The amount, I'm sorry. I mean, she could just be very fertile. I hate her. The amount of shit I had to go through to have a baby. I know, but still, yeah. I mean, that's... But still, that's awful. Oh, God, that sounds horrible. Okay. Anyway, Julie didn't find it to be true, too problematic, apparently. Oh, don't give. But Herb was hiding his true identity. Tell me she's never had an orgasm without telling me she's never yeah, had no, an she orgasm. Yeah, no, definitely has not. Um, okay. So, yeah, uh, Herb was hiding his true identity, and then men began disappearing. Um, so, Roger Goodlett vanished without a trace. Besides his family, nobody seemed to give a damn. 
In the early 90s, Indianapolis, a man who was last seen at a gay bar, didn't garner too much attention from law enforcement. Luckily for Roger and his family, he had a friend named Tony Harris, who did care and offered to help Roger's family in any way he could. Tony began plastering missing posters with Roger's face all over the gay bar scene that they frequented. In the book, You Think You Know Me by Ryan Green, one night Tony noticed a man sitting at the bar, staring straight ahead at one of the posters. The man was awed in the way he was sitting there silently, staring at the poster while licking his lips. Tony immediately felt his stomach drop. His intuition told him that this man knew something about Roger's disappearance. Tony made his way towards the man and thought maybe he was going crazy, just because the man seemed odd didn't make him a serial killer. Tony tried to talk himself out of approaching him. He thought maybe he was overreacting, but whatever doubt he had in his mind didn't stop his body from continuing to walk closer. The man introduced himself as Brian Smart. Eventually, Tony accepted an invitation to leave with Brian. They ventured out of the city and down dark country roads until they reached an estate called Fox Hollow Farm. Mm -hmm. Brian said that the house belonged to his boss. The two men went to the indoor pool where Tony saw several mannequins lying around in different positions, which he found strange. Oh, God. Brian told him that his boss didn't like to be alone, and that is why there were mannequins everywhere. No, they're not mannequins. (laughs) I think they were actually mannequins. Oh, I was like, they're never mannequins. No, they were mannequins, but still (laughs) weird. Tony added it to to basically Brian's list of quirks. The men then started to engage in sexual activity. A session of autoerotic asphyxiation ensued. Brian especially enjoyed this. He relayed how he felt an enormous rush by taking men to the brink of death, watching their eyes bulge and their lips crack. Oh, dear God. Tony was sure now more than ever that this Brian Smart was killing people, including Roger. Mm -hmm. Tony told Brian that he knew he was behind the disappearances and that he was going to go to the police. Brian laughed and said nobody would believe him. He had gotten away with it before. Why would this instance be any different? There was little effort by the police up until this point, mainly because they had no leads. Brian had every right to be cocky towards law enforcement, but he made a mistake by not killing Tony. Tony then contacted the authorities and told them there was a man strangling people out in Hamilton County in Indianapolis. Right. The police attempted to locate the property, but were unable to nor could they attach any of the homes in the area to Brian Smart. But Brian continued to contact Tony. Unfortunately, he usually called a cell phone or payphone, untraceable 25 years ago. During some of these conversations, Brian dropped hints that he had killed many people, and men kept disappearing from the same bars. That's when Tony saw Brian again. When Brian was leaving the bar, Tony followed him outside and got his license plate number. The police were able to identify the man as Herb Baumeister. Baumeister was thought of as a sweet, sensitive, happy-go-lucky kid. Then puberty hit and things drastically changed. It wasn't a quick or obvious kind of change, but the passions that drove him and things he was interested in became increasingly twisted. He started to develop a fascination with death. He began to divulge his antisocial behavior through obscene jokes and pranks. Herb wasn't afraid to blurt out his thoughts around the other boys in his class anymore. He wondered aloud what urine would taste like, then began chasing the other boys asking for a drink. Ew. 
That was a more benign instance of his change, but when Herb wasn't chastised for his behavior, he began to up the ante. He urinated on a teacher's desk and once left a dead bird on another teacher's desk. Okay, that's when it's, when dead animals start popping up, that's when there's like, we need to really step in and and fix the issue. There's a problem here. Yeah. He loved to play with dead animals, often squeezing them to feel the power of his hands. I don't like it. It aroused him. Yeah. Herb never dated throughout school and quite possibly didn't know if he was gay yet because of the wide range of emotions and fascinations he was developing. Herb never finished college, but he was intelligent and thought of as a good worker, um, but had trouble holding a job due to his bizarre behavior. He often made inappropriate jokes in the workplace that made coworkers uncomfortable. I bet. However, his family's fortune changed by opening and operating the thrift store. And the Baumeisters settled into their lives, with Julie often taking the kids to the family's lake home in the summer, leaving Herb to his own devices. Much of that time was spent cruising Indianapolis's gay scene. With an empty house to play in, Herb began taking men back there to party. He now had the freedom to explore his sexuality and act out his fantasies. They would end up in the pool where Herb would strangle the men with a hose, and the bodies began to add up when Tony Harris met Herb. Now, with a name and address, investigators were able to begin putting pressure on her Bowmeister. Detective Mary Wilson of the Indianapolis Police Department paid Herb a visit at one of his thrift stores. The visit visibly shook Bowmeister and heightened law enforcement suspicions. On the TV show American Justice, Detective Wilson explains how Herb got nervous and fidgety upon the visit, and when she presented evidence of him being seen at the bars around the time of these men's disappearances, it sent him into a panic. It was now known that the married father of three frequented gay bars, and this was like public knowledge. Right. When asked to search his property, Herb refused. So they approached Julie. Detective Wilson was conflicted because at that point she didn't know if Herb had anything to do with the missing men, and yet they were going to tell his wife that they were investigating her husband for a homosexual homicide. Julie's shock and sadness turned into anger and disbelief. She called Detective Wilson to defend her husband, saying he was never violent in his life, not once. To you? Yeah, to her. Now he was being investigated for murder? If they wanted to search the property, they needed to present a warrant, and Julie said she would personally give them a tour. Investigators only had Tony's story and circumstantial evidence and not enough to produce a warrant. Soon, the Bowmeister's life started to crumble. Their business started failing, and with Herb's increasingly unpredictable behavior, Julie filed for divorce. Although, she was still in denial over the allegations about her husband, but she wanted answers. There was a crucial piece of information that Julie had told her attorney and kept it from police. One time, her son had found a skull in their backyard and carried it inside to show his mom. Ma'am. She went outside and found even more bones. Ma'am. When they were originally discovered, Herb explained it away as the model skeletons his father used at his medical practice. He was a pack rat and kept everything. He decided to bury them in the backyard, and that was an acceptable answer to Julie at the time. Fine. Her attorney contacted Detective Wilson with the information. The police went out to Fox Hollow Farm and were finally able to do a search of the property. There were bones scattered all over the place. 
The large bones were further back in the woods, while the smaller bones were directly behind the house and had been buried. By this point, Herb had taken his son to the lake house and emptied the joint bank account he had shared with his wife. Fearing for her son's life, Julie had Herb served with custody papers before the discovery on his farm hit the news. Herb brushed it off as legal maneuvering and handed over his son to authorities. Detective Wilson wasn't able to arrest him because the body was found in another jurisdiction. The Hamilton County Police, on the other hand, could have at least detained him, but they didn't, saying they didn't know exactly what they had. Bodies is what you had. Yeah. Numerous bodies. Leaving the victim's families baffled. God, yeah. Once news of the bodies were found, Herb fled to Canada and ended up shooting himself. Sweet. Yeah. So never had to pay for his He never had to pay crimes. for any of his crimes, yeah. That's great. He left a three-page suicide note mentioning his failed marriage, failed business, and his children. He ended the note by saying, I'm going to eat a peanut butter sandwich and go to sleep. <laughs> there was no mention of the skeletons found on his property. Eventually, the remains of 11 men were found, eight identified, including Roger Goodlett. Wow. Law enforcement estimated that Herb could have killed up to 27 people, but he apparently told Tony Harris it was closer to 50. Wow. Yeah. Herb was also believed to be the I-70 strangler, referring to the stretch of highways where the bodies of nine men were found during the mid-80s. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. The deaths occurred during the spring and summer months only, which was Baumeister's season to kill. If it wasn't for Tony Harris taking the chance of leaving the bar with Herb, then who knows how long the killing would have continued. Yeah, what a brave man. Yeah. As for Fox Hollow Farm, this is where the horrendous legacy of Herb Bobmeister continues through his afterlife and of those men he murdered. Typically, buildings where gruesome crimes have occurred, known as psychologically affected real estate, are often demolished or left to rot. This was not the fate for Fox Hollow Farm. It eventually sold at a third of its $2.3 million asking price, according to the Indianapolis Star. Soon after moving in, the new owners started to tell of strange goings-on, including shadowy male figures, one walking without legs, lurking around the backyard. It was the Graves family who eventually found out something sinister still lived in this home. Rob Graves and his family were looking to escape city life to a home with more space. On outward appearance, Fox Hollow Farm was more than perfect. It was a steal. As they toured the house with a realtor, Rob began wondering why a house that was so desirable and gorgeous didn't have anyone living in it. What was going on? As he thought about it, Rob realized it might be a property he'd heard about on the local news. Rob asked if it was where Herbert Baumeister had lived. The realtor said yes, and that's why it was such a good deal. I I don't know what year was this again? The uh, 80s? When they actually bought it, it was like I think like two thousand or like nineteen ninety four or something like that. Okay, maybe not in the nineties, but I was going to say I'm surprised that there's not like a law that you have to disclose if like a murder has taken place on a property within a certain amount of years. Yeah, I mean they did disclose. Yeah, but I mean up front, like before not wait for the person. It? Yeah, like not even before they tour it, but not wait for the person to ask. Do you know no, what I yeah, mean? No, yeah, you would think that they would need to before even entering the home. Like, like yeah. just letting you know, like murders were committed, crimes were committed. 11 here. at least. Yeah. Like, anyway. Anyway, yeah, you're right. 
So they still decided they could live with the fact that the house had belonged to Indiana's most prolific serial killer and bought it. Not me. Not Not for me. However, soon after, they began experiencing some very suspicious events around the house. Rob's wife, Vicki Graves, was vacuuming gravel that the kids had tracked in around the pool one day when the vacuum kept cutting out. The vacuum kept being unplugged at the extension cord. The third time startled her, and she felt as though someone else was there. It felt as though someone didn't want her there. Rob also worked at a car dealership, and his colleague, Joe LeBlanc, was chronically late to work. He had a terrible commute and needed to move closer to the dealership. Rob offered the spare apartment they had on the property. Joe wasn't phased by the history as the apartment had been gutted since the time of the murders. Rob helped Joe and his dog Fred move in. When they were done, Joe was so exhausted that he fell onto the bed and went right to sleep. He dreamt of running for his life. He was being chased by something bad. When he woke, he tried to run and hit the doorframe very hard. He collapsed onto the floor in pain. There were shards of glass everywhere and they had gotten into his hands. He didn't know what he was running from, but he felt he had to get out of there right away. Oh my god. One day, Vicky had come home from work to find Rob painting. While she looked at his work, something caught her eye. There was a man in a red t-shirt standing in their yard. As he walked away from her, Vicky realized that she wasn't able to see the man's legs. Just as quickly as his legs disappeared, the rest of him also vanished. Rob dismissed it as a potential serial killer groupie visiting mm, the, mm-hmm. the house. They walked over to the area where she'd seen the person and found nothing. Concerned for what Vicky had seen, Rob installed security cameras on the premises. Back to Joe's apartment, uh, Joe was washing dishes in his apartment one night when he heard a knock on the door. The knocking became more insistent. Joe opened the door and found nothing. He looked around outside and saw no one. He closed and locked the door, unable to shake the uncomfortable feeling something was watching him. He couldn't see anything. Suddenly, a wisp of something grabbed his attention. Joe looked back into the bedroom and saw nothing. Even Fred was acting as though he'd seen something. Mm. Then one night, as Joe was taking Fred for a walk up and down the driveway, Joe heard something in the woods. Fred had stopped and the dog's ears were perked up. As they walked back, Fred took off running. Fred was chasing after a man in a red shirt. Oh my god. The man walked into the woods and disappeared. Fred still gave chase. Joe walked into the woods to get his dog. He wasn't sure if the man in the red shirt was bad news, but he needed to find Fred. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, with no warning, he came face to face with the man in the red shirt. No. Oh, my God. I'm going to. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Joe turned and ran for his life with Fred shortly behind him. Joe told Vicky and they realized they'd seen the same thing. Oh, my God. Another time, Joe was awakened by another insistent knock on his door. He called out asking who was there, but received no answer. He could feel the panels in the door vibrating from the knocking. Finally, Joe pulled the still vibrating door open and saw no one there. Oh my god. He did, however, see the door knocker still sitting perpendicular to the door, so like lifted up. Oh no, 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 I don't like that. While he watched, the door knocker fell, making one last sound. Joe closed the door, bolting it shut, and began to feel, feel a bit safer. He went back to Fred, growling. Then Joe heard a sound like the doorknob turning. No. 
something was violently battling with the doorknob. Oh my God. And finally it stopped. Within seconds, the door banged open (gasps) and wood chips flew across the apartment. Joe stepped outside and when he turned around, he saw a man in his apartment. No. This man was running for his life, desperately trying to get away from somebody. Oh my God, my heart. Joe thought he'd seen one of Herb's victims. Yeah, for sure. Rob, Vicky, and Joe then began further investigating what was known of what had happened on the property. As they were viewing some old news footage that included pictures of the victims, Joe saw the young man who'd run through his apartment. Oh, my heart. That hurts. Yeah. One day, Joe was walking through the woods with Fred when the dog took off running. Joe gave chase, and when Fred stopped, something caught Joe's eye. He dug it out of the leaves and realized it was a human bone. He took it to Vicky and Rob. Vicky knew it was human and thought it was a femur. She also thought he'd found it in the area near where they'd seen the man in the red shirt. Rob called the lead detective on the case to report the bone, and the detective agreed to come out and show them where events had taken place on the premises. Mm -hmm. The detective led them to the pool where many of the victims were believed to have been strangled. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, a friend of Joe's named Jeremy came to visit the house, and he and Joe were diving in to retrieve dead beetles from the bottom of the pool when Joe felt someone touch his back. He thought it might have been one of the grave's boys, but they were on the other side of the pool. As Joe swam back to his friends, he was pulled under. He felt fingers choking him. Jeremy watched Joe put his hands to his neck in panic like he'd never seen his friend's face before. Joe managed to escape and got everyone out of the pool before it could get them. Oh my gosh. One of the last occurrences Joe experienced happened one day as he was working at his computer. One night, when the sound of metallic scraping startled him, he got up to find knives from his butcher block in the (gasps) sink and cuts in the wood on the walls. No. He wondered if someone could have been stabbed in his kitchen. After watching a ghost hunting show, Joe unplugged everything that could possibly make any noise and used his cell phone for an EVP session. In the kitchen, Joe asked if anyone was there. Within moments, Fred began barking. Joe took the recording to his computer for playback. When he listened closely, the response to his question was clearly, the married one. No. When Joe looked at the known victim list, every victim had been single. That was when it dawned on Joe that Herb had been married. Joe remains convinced that Herbert is back haunting Fox Hollows and his victims are still running from him to this day. That's what it sounds like. Um, And three years ago, the owners agreed to open their home for regular visits from the Haunted House Travel Company and groups have reported hearing voices, footsteps and other strange sounds and feeling sensations of being punched, hit and in one case choked. Oh my God. So that is the story of fox hollow that was such a good story that was so good like one of my favorites that you've ever told yeah that is so scary yeah it's really fucking frightening oh my god Uh uh-huh do they still live there i don't know oh my god i mean they've opened it up to the public i assume they're like making money off. yeah probably and bought like another house to live in (laughs) yeah holy shit that's so scary scary sorry i have the hiccups now they also there's there's um a bunch of ghost hunter episodes uh, not ghost hunter episodes um 
but like investigation and stuff something on yeah there's a there's books on this like i'd never heard of it before but shit me either there's lots of stuff on it besides just joe and vicky and the graves account oh my god i find it all that their last name is graves yeah yeah definitely fitting wow what a good story i guess we can conclude this episode yeah with uh fuck mary kill yeah which it's we're in virgo season Mm -hmm. i've been waiting for this um for a while (laughs) because we love virgos both of us we both are obsessed with virgos (laughs) okay so i'm gonna say cameron diaz okay adam sandler okay and melissa mccarthy okay i'm going to kill adam sandler Mm -hmm. i'm going to fuck cameron diaz Mm -hmm. and marry melissa mccarthy that's the correct answer that is the correct answer (laughs) Thank you for validating that. <laughs> You're so welcome. Um, okay. I am going to go with Chris Pine. Okay. Beyonce. Okay. And Blake Lively. Okay. So I will have sex with Chris Pine. Okay. I will marry Beyonce. Okay. And Blake Lively is going to take the axe. We're going to kill Chris Pine. We're going to marry Beyonce. We're yeah. going to have sex with Blake Lively. Okay. If you have seen... Friggin' that movie with Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick. Yes. Blake Lively just had this sex appeal that I had never yes. really seen before. Yes. And I was just vibing with it. Yeah. So, yeah. And her outfits fucking give me them all. You know what? I might... I might have to change my answer. Okay. To the same as yours. Okay. My reason is a bit different. Blake Lively is very good friends with Taylor Swift. This is true. And I feel like I could really leverage that to be- also become friends with Taylor Swift. There you go. Who's a Sagittarius queen. And we know yes. that Sagittarius and Gemini are sister signs. They are. And so we would be friends. And then we can finally write music together. Okay. <laughs> that makes why. sense. That's fine. That's fine. Bye, fair. Chris. <laughs> Later, Chris. And Beyonce, just gorgeous. I, who wouldn't want to marry her? Yeah, no. Even if you don't like her music, which is weird. But She if you, definitely if you takes care of... Yeah. Takes care of the family. Yeah. Yeah. She's a woman. She's a woman. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's showbiz, baby. baby. <laughs> and you guys just stay spooky. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 